Some um, months back, a, uh, a Texas homemaker by the name of Jen Hatmaker uh, came into the public view. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, she wrote a, a blog post that went viral, and I mean like crazy viral, to the point where she became suddenly a national celebrity. She was featured on the Today Show, and her writings ever since actually have had a huge following all across America. What it was about that first post that drew attention was the ruthless honesty with which she confessed her experience of being a mother today. And I just want to share with you something of what uh, she shares uh, in the writing she made at that time. You know that beginning of school enthusiasm, she says? How many of you know that beginning of school energy? And she unpacks it for us. When the pencils are fresh and the notebooks are new and the kids' backpacks don't look like they line the den of a pack of filthy hyenas. You remember those days, those, those feelings you had at the beginning of the school year? Moms, remember how you packed these innovative and nutritional lunches and you laid clothes out the night before and you labeled shelves for each child's homework and school correspondence and how you completed homework in a timely manner. Remember that? Well, she says, I am exactly still like that at the end of the school year, except just the opposite. Just the opposite. We are limping across the finish line here, folks. I mean limping. I tapped out somewhere in April. And at this point, it's a miracle my kids are still going to school. I mean, I haven't checked homework folders in three weeks because, well, I just can't. I can not. I cannot. I cannot check another folder. Is there homework in the folder? I've got no idea. I, are other moms still looking in the folder? I don't even care, she writes. I, I feel like any sort of school energy required at this particular point is pure oppression. It's like the universe is trying to destroy me. I'm so tired, and I have five kids, and that is just too many. I mean, seriously, it is. It's too many to educate well. I can handle around two. So I'm going with Sydney and Caleb because they both like to read. And, and, and the other three are just going to have to enroll in life skills class one day and develop a trade. The way I figure it. Yesterday, Rami came to me at bedtime and chirped, We need to read for 20 minutes. And a little part of my soul just died right there. No, we don't have to read tonight, I said. Oh, yes, we do. Mrs. Burke said, we have to. Oh, no, you already read, honey. No, Mom, we didn't. You are faking me, Mom. Well, when I talk to you during the day, that's like reading, honey. I mean, you have to listen really hard to the words. 
It's called auditory reading. And we've been practicing it all day. I'll, I'll just write the minutes down in your log. It'll be fine. And then Ben comes to me. And he tells me that he needs a Ben Franklin costume today. Today. And I have no idea how I missed that correspondence, though not checking the homework folder might explain it. Maybe. And my husband, Brandon, he's the costume and project parent. I mean, that's his job. But he is out of town on a mancation. So it's up to me. And I can't even handle signing a folder in late May. A colonial costume is cause for full, unrestrained despair. And then the emails. The emails that are coming in for the class gift and the the end-of-the-year letters and luncheons, sign-up and party supplies, award ceremonies, pictures for the slideshows, final projects are like a tsunami of doom. They are endless. I mean, they will not end. They just keep coming. And my husband says to me, Honey, you don't have to do all that. Just blow it off. And I stare blankly at him. Well, what a lovely thought you're having there in your little brain. What a lovely thought. I want to live in your imaginary world where my failure to do the school stuff does not mean that our kid is the only one not wearing a purple shirt or didn't have the pictures in the slideshow or didn't have a handmade card to bring to his teacher like every other student. Yeah, I'll just blow it off and our kids can work it out with their therapist later. That's fine. (laughs) Touchy, he says. Touchy. So, mom out there, writes Jen Hatmaker, Mom who's now sending Lunchables with your kid, who's now making her wear her shoes with holes in them because we're almost dot there. I understand you. I got your back, sister. We were awesome back in October, weren't we? I mean, we were awesome. Don't you forget that. We used to care. That counts for something, doesn't it? And next year's teachers, they're going to get a fresher version of us. Hang in there, mama. Just a few more days till summer. When approximately 19 minutes into our glorious respite from homework, liberated from the crush of it all, ready to party like it's 1999, our precious children, having whooped and celebrated all the way home, will announce... I'm bored. How many of you can relate? How many of you have been there? I think there's a a reason why this um, blog post went viral the way it did. I mean, obviously, humor counts for a little something, right? She's got that Fallon-like wit. But I think truth-telling counts for an awful lot. And, and what Jen Hatmaker has been able to do there and a lot of her other writings is sort of tell the truth in an engaging way about the life that we're living, about the stresses and the strains that it puts on all of us 
and maybe especially women these days. Hatmaker is herself not really this kind of careless personality she seems to suggest. She's an incredibly well-educated, intelligent, uh, talented, uh, really remarkable person, if you know more of her story. She's a credible follower of Jesus. Uh, but, like, but like Jen, I think um, many of us are living in this world where the expectations just keep ramping and ramping up. Uh, she's already juggling, handling uh, far more than any previous generation has ever been asked to manage at the same time. There's more data. There's more diverse expectations. There's more competition. There's more disruptive change. There's more accelerating speed. That's not to diminish the challenges of prior generations who faced wars and, and depressions and calamities of other kinds. But, but the intensity of the volume right, and the clutter and the clatter of what's going on right now is something new in human history. And it, and it, it creates fragmenting forces in our lives like nothing ever has in quite the same way. And, and, and in spite of knowing that, sort of being able to read the signs of the times, Jen uh, Hatmaker still finds herself harried by this internal voice, by this, um, this, this sense that's, that, that if she just tried harder, right, if she just worked at it more, stayed up later, she could be, would be, and maybe actually should be more awesome still. She feels like she spaces, spends her life chasing awesome, in a sense. Now, you almost get the sense that, that it's this same kind of demon that is afflicting the woman that we meet in Luke chapter 10. It's just the first century version of this same kind of demon. And, and we're told in the Bible that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. But, and here's the key part here, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that what? Had to be made. And there's an intensity to that word, I think, is the messaging in this story. Now, I want you to get this. I want you to really think about the conditions here because we just gloss over what we read in the Bible sometimes. Here is a woman who is living a, a fairly ordinary life. She's living in the town of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. And uh, God has just walked through her front door. Uh, the greatest intelligence, uh, the most um, luminous kind of love and wit and personality has just come into her life and offered himself to share, right? But Martha is too distracted to connect with him, to take advantage of the moment. She, she, she's pulled away from this opportunity, diverted, blinded, misdirected, however you describe it, by what? All the preparations that what? Had to be made that just had to be made. Now, we're not given uh, information in the scriptures about what was on her particular to-do list. I mean, scripture often leaves out details. Maybe she was a mom. Maybe she had a bunch of kids running around the house. Maybe she had to attend to the, the first century equivalent of the homework folders or, or, the, or the preparations for the next day in the life of those, of those kids. 
Um, maybe she was some kind of first century Martha Stewart, right? Who just felt like this, this, the arrival of Jesus meant she just had to put on a really significant party here. I mean, all the colors needed to be coordinated, right? The food had to be perfect. Uh, the house had to be cleaned just right. Maybe she's feeling that kind of intense pressure. I think back to a, a moment in my mother's life. My mom lives back in Connecticut. She was in a store one day. She had a big dinner party coming up that uh, evening. And uh, she was really fretting about it. My mom really likes to get things right for other people. And uh, so she's at the checkout uh, lot, in the checkout place. And, and she's pulling out a bunch of her stuff. And she puts uh, all this spinach out on the on the conveyor belt, and she, she sort of frets to the woman at the checkout station, uh, do you think I got enough? You think I got enough? And the woman goes, oh, I don't know, it's not my job, you know? And, and a voice behind her says, well, how many people are you having? And she says, I'm having 12. And uh, the woman says, put half of that back. Half of that back? She says, that won't be... Trust me, put half of it back. My mother put half of it back. It was the perfect amount of spinach for 12 people because the woman in the line behind her was Martha Stewart. (laughs) There are people who just know. Seriously, they just know what perfection looks like. They, what will be just right. And they know that if they just apply themselves sufficiently, they can turn out awesome. Maybe awesome almost every single time they put themselves to it. Is that what was going on for this first century, Martha? You know, did she just feel like, because Jesus was coming, it, it had to be awesome. Whatever it was, it's clear that Martha was burned out by this demon that was moving inside of her. I mean, she really was. Uh, She was feeling that kind of of end-of-the-school-year exhaustion that Jen Hatmaker has described, and some of you are probably feeling about now in your own journey. She's feeling kind of irritated about her situation. Maybe you know that feeling. You know, how did I get here? You know, I don't like this. She's kind of ticked off, actually, at, at God, in a sense. She's mad at Jesus. You know, he sees this is going on for her. Why doesn't he do something about it? And what about that, that lazy sister of hers? I mean, she's just sitting there. And so she actually, in sort of a peevish fit, she, she gets up and she goes over. She came to Jesus, the Bible says, and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. It's amazing, isn't it, how often we do find ourselves in life situations where just we're worn out. And and our first instinct is to look outside of ourselves, to get angry at the heavens or the people around us that somehow they have not rescued us from this condition. I, 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 I do this myself. Um, until my wife once said to me, Dan, wherever you go, there you are. You know, you're going to have to figure this out. Maybe there are some changes that you have to make internally. And, and, and I don't know whether 
Others of you can relate to that. I, I do think a lot of us have been raised in, in what I call Martha world. Um, we've been raised in families and, and through universities and in job situations where the expectation of awesome is so high that we've sort of surrendered to it. We've sort of believed we had to do it. Uh, it, was, it was just what needed to be done. Um, it's particularly, I think, challenging for women these days simply because role expectations have, have, have continually evolved. It, it, there was this day where you could be a pretty good homemaker or you could be a pretty good professional um, or you could be a pretty good citizen activist. But today, I mean, the expectation is you will be all of these things brilliantly. I mean, y- 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 you look on the television screen, you open the magazine, it is, it is, it's, uh, it's Kate you're competing with, you know? Um, it's Angelina. I mean, these people, they're not just lithe and lovely and witty and charming and brilliant and starting organizations and healing the world. And do, I mean, they're just, they've got it all going while raising these paparazzi perfect families, it looks like. You know, that's a lot. That's, that's a big level of awesome to, to be chasing in this life. Never mind the fact they've got a fleet of nannies and cooks just off screen, right? That make it possible for them to have the lives they appear to have. Social media doesn't help us much, uh, right? We, we look at, the, at, at Facebook and, and or Instagram, and we, Pinterest, whatever it may be that's your, your addiction, and you see these photographs of all these beautiful families, how well-chosen, how well-tinted every one of the photographs is. Right? That seems to suggest there is this magical life just out there if you try, chase it further, if you try a little harder. Um, even preachers, you know, we're complicit in this. Uh, we are uh, often telling these idyllic stories of these great role models. Uh, I, often on a, on a mother's weekend, we'll uh, preach about the Proverbs 31 ideal woman, or we'll tell the story of these, these awesome. Uh, heroic moms or women that sort of chart out a picture that there's a certain life that everybody should be living if they just would chase it more passionately. Uh, we preachers do this. Now, the truth is there are remarkable women all over the place, right? There are awesome women. Some of them are sitting right here in this room. You may be one of them. You may have had the blessing of an awesome mom or a uh, role model in your life of some kind, and I don't want to take anything away from from those people through whom God has graciously moved. Uh, we want the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, goodness, self-control, humility, courage. We want these things, and when we meet them in somebody else, it's something to be praised and, and given thanks for. I, I don't want to take anything away from that vision. But if you are looking to the Bible for clues as to the kind of people that God really loves and that God comes to and that God works through, if if you're looking to this book for guidance on this, it is pretty tough to find a consistent template or or one clear ideal or a a photogenic female storyline that you simply have to build your life on, okay? I really want to underline that one for, for men and women alike. Uh, Eve, for example. You've heard, how many of you have heard of Eve? <laughs> okay, good. 
Uh, so Eve's the mother of, um, of Cain and Abel. And, um, and then Jochebed, um, she's the mother of Moses. And then Mary, she's the mother of Jesus, right? All three of these archetypal women, they suffer the loss of one of their children under just devastating circumstances. They do not live the idyllic sort of blessed life in the way that it's often pictured. Sarah, Rachel, Hannah were all um, infertile. Ruth, one of the Bible's uh, great examples of faithfulness, was left a childless widow at a very young age. Um, Rahab, who helped the Israelites capture Jericho, uh, had been a prostitute uh, as part of the, of the brokenness of her life story. Um, Leah, the wife of Jacob, had a bad marriage. Uh, she endured a really, really tough marriage for many, many, many years. Uh, Nitzavet, the mother of David. Uh, you probably haven't heard of Nitzavet. She's not mentioned in the Bible, but in the Hebrew um, Talmudic writings. Uh, Nitzavet raised a son who committed murder and adultery, and she had a grandson who uh, was guilty of treason and was executed for it. Um, that's, that's the mother of David. Uh, Esther, who saved the Jews, saved the, the Jewish race, uh, got to that role in life because she was a trophy wife and then leveraged the moment uh, in, a, in an amazing act of courage. But the story up to that point, not something that a woman would necessarily aspire to. The woman of Sychar, who brought her entire village to Christ, uh, had been married five times. And the guy she was uh, shacking up with at the moment wasn't even her husband. Um, these are the people God loved and came to and worked through. Think about the implications of that. Because the stories of women in the Bible are, are of people living through diverse circumstances. Um, sometimes they're flourishing and leading Sometimes they're failing and floundering. Sometimes they're just putting one foot in front of the other, surviving. Or sometimes they're going down for the count. Sometimes they are absolutely awesome in October and they are awful by May. Okay? So the point here I'm trying to make is that if you're looking for uh, the fairy tale of marriage and maternity and Marthahood, in the Bible, you will not find it in this book on which Christians base their lives. There's not a one-size-fits-all journey of womanhood in the Bible. There is only a one-God-meets-all story in the Bible. And that's where the hope comes from. Because it tells us there is no place where God cannot find us if we're open to Him, looking for Him, listening for Him. So, let's be gentle with each other this Mother's Day, urges Janelle Williams Paris, who's a professor at Messiah College. Let's celebrate with the women who have happy families. Let's remember the people who are hurt by their mothers and those who have heroic moms. Let's remember the mothers who have lost their children. Let's remember the women who long to be wives and mothers but aren't. And this is the best part. Let's come together 
and worship Jesus alone. Jesus alone, not idealized images of mothers or of ourselves. Because this, you know, is the message Jesus is trying to get across, I think. Um, That's the core idea Christ is trying to pass on to us in this encounter we read about in Luke chapter 10. Um, Martha has just finished melting down. Okay, she has just lost it, uh, gone over the edge. Uh, and she's angry that nobody is helping her to do what she feel like she had to do to be the ideal woman. And, and Martha is approached by Jesus. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. That's not a critical observation. That's just an observation. That's where she is. But, he says, few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. And what had Mary chosen to do? Go back to this story. Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Men and kids... How do we help the hard-striving women in our lives to do what Mary does in the story? What do we need to get under in the way of shouldering a burden, taking on a task, cutting off the to-do list at some critical place to allow the women in our lives to, to slow down, to stop, to silence themselves long enough to hear what God may be saying to them? How do we help them look into the face of Jesus and take in his grace and his truth in a way that can allow them to return to their world refreshed with resources to live on? Uh, Today, here's a challenge. Ask some important woman in your life. Maybe do it tomorrow in, in your workplace. But ask the important women in your life, where is it you go? What is it that, that you're experiencing when you feel like you're in communion with God? And, and how do I help you go to that place more often in this crazy Martha world we're living in? Again, Jen Hatmaker offers some wisdom about the benefits of going to that particular place in another one of her blog posts, and I want to close with, uh, with this observation. She says, when I get quiet, when I listen to God's very still, small voice in my heart, when I pay attention to what makes me feel alive and joyful in my place as opposed to when I am displaced, it almost never revolves around being awesome. In other words, it's not chasing awesome that brings me closer to God. It's it's not that. It looks more like being present, she writes, and being peaceful and being less grabby and afraid that everything is about to run out. It looks like being generous and being at home with my people and being with my friends and being ordinary. Nobody would see me in these places, she writes. Nobody would catch me in those spots and say, she is being really awesome at chopping that onion. 
She is being very, very awesome at sitting on that porch in her pajama pants talking to her friends. Or she is a really awesome nap taker, that Jen hat maker. But my happiest, my best moments are beautiful and meaningful and life-giving. And yet none of them require a high level of achievement. So Martha or Marty, hear those words to you because they're very good news. God has enough grace for you. He did not come to you. He did not enter this world because he wanted to check up on our performance. He did not come and walk among ordinary people because he just wanted to catch them out for not being awesome enough. God came to us for this reason, to grab our attention, to draw us to himself, to fill us with his wisdom, his love, his life, his perspective on all things, that we may find our way into that life which is truly life, truly life abundant. And so for today, and I hope many times after this day, just do that. Just go there yourself. Help other people in your life get there themselves to the feet of Jesus, to that place where they can gaze into his face and remember who and whose they really are. Please pray with me. Lord, you have told us in your word My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And whatever our journey has been or is, whatever our experience of childhood, womanhood, manhood, parenthood, we thank you, Lord, that you are good and that your love for us endures forever. Receive our gratitude this day for all who have mediated to us that awesome grace and helped us, Lord, help us to help one another rest in you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.